Hello, and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Welcome back to the Pack Bag Parents Podcast. I'm Bree James. And on today's episode, we are chatting to the author of The Day My Vagina Broke and Chief Brave Mama, Stephanie Thompson, about her transition into motherhood and the lessons she's learned along the way. Now, we've all learned lots and lots of lessons becoming parents, especially mothers. So welcome, Stephanie. Firstly, thanks for your time. Uh, it's really great to have you on the podcast because this is a topic that it's a bit taboo, you know, many women's vaginas break doing uh, giving birth, uh, myself included. So oh, can you tell us um, why you stated brave, uh, started Brave Mama? Yeah, thank you, Brie. And it's lovely to be able to chat with another mum who we're obviously about to find out has a similar journey, is that when this happened to me, my, my little girl's six now, so 2015, I felt like I was alone and that perhaps I had failed vaginal childbirth and I was the only one because, you know, you have your little antenatal class group and no one really knew what I, what I was trying to say. No one understood. And then in the mother's group, they kind of looked at me a bit weird, like, what are you talking about? So I just assumed that it just happened to me. And so I kept it really quiet for a really long time. But then as time went on and I started to really struggle physically and then obviously that carried on to mentally and emotionally. I thought, no, I have to say something about this because I know when I say, when I mean that, I mean, I had to say something to my own sister and mum because I couldn't sit down after all the stitching and repair that was done during birth. They were like, why, what's, why are you awkward? <laughs> I'm like, I can't sit down. I've got all these stitching. And they're like, what? Because they were not in the birth. And when I kind of explained a few things that had happened, they looked at me and they're like, Stephanie, that is not okay. Like that's not normal. They'd all had their babies and nothing like that happened. So it just left me a bit curious to think, is it not normal? And I asked my midwife and she just said, dismissed it and said, no, no, it's common. You'll be okay. You just, you just too soon postpartum, give yourself time. So I believed her over them for quite some time. And then as it all kind of unveiled over the next, I don't know, say a year or so, I realized it wasn't normal and it's not as common as it was made out. And so I thought if I don't get this out of my head, then I'm going to carry this grief for a really long time. So I started to write things down in a journal, not knowing it would become a book. I never thought it would be, be like, dear diary, this really crappy thing happened the end. Now I can move on. Then it transpired into something I never thought. And I thought, okay, I've got this book. Now I've got to share it with people. <laughs> They've got to know. I've got to use the word vagina. They know it's me. They're going to look at me weird. I'm, I was really scared of that, Brie, of the judgment. Um, my husband's ego, uh, both of our egos, honestly, thinking that we'd failed, of course. But then I was like, if I don't do something, then this same thing is going to happen to the next mum. She won't feel like it's, you know, like she'll feel it's her fault. So I had to be brave. I had to be brave to put it out there, which is why I created that brave mama name because mama is what my kids call me. <laughs> and I thought I've got to be brave mama. And that's how it kind of all began in a really 
you know, shortened version. Yeah, because I guess a lot of women wonder if their vagina is ever going to be the same after childbirth. What do you classify as a broken vagina? Let's start there. Yeah, I think that's really good to point out because quite jokingly, people say to like partners and birthing partners, oh, it's never the same again. I've heard those stupid jokes like it's your favorite pub being burnt down. And uh, like that that's horrific now. And probably before birth, we would have joked similarly. A broken vagina for me is actually, it means that my pelvic floor muscles were torn off the bone during childbirth with the use of forceps. It is like an amputation. It's like, you know, when you have your foot amputated and it makes it really hard, having my pelvic floor muscles amputated from the bone means that my bladder, my bowel, my uterus and my vaginal wall can no longer stay in place where they need to be. So what they do is they sink down the vaginal canal and out the opening near your vulva. So that's what a broken vagina is. And when I kind of discovered that that's what it was, it took a long time. It's been a journey. Like it didn't happen straight away after birth. I had to see so many specialists, experts in the field, urogynecologists, women's, you name it, for someone to finally take two and a half hours of diagnostic tests to say, this is what it is. This is the likely cause. There's no fix for you, but we'll get to that. And so I was like, well, I, I feel really broken. It's not just that joking thing about it, you know, the skin being stretched or whatever. It's, it's really broken, which is why, you know, sometimes you, you see on social media, people say, you're not broken from childbirth. You just need time to heal. Oh, that makes my blood boil because women like me who have this pelvic organ prolapse, there's all different grades, different types, but basically so many women are walking around exactly like me with this invisible injury or disability, depends on how it affects your life. But I then found out that it's one in two women will experience pelvic organ prolapse within their lifetime. And I'm like, hang on a minute, stop. Is that, are you saying 50% of our female population can be living like me right now? Where are they? I don't know anyone. And then when you start a Brave Mama community and you start talking about it, I hear those women. They come to me, they, they are part of our community and they are real. And they have real broken vaginas just like me. And it's this underground, like you mentioned in the beginning, it's so taboo and it's so shameful that we we live with it in silence and we don't get the support that we need because we're too embarrassed. It is true. And, you know, I guess I'm quite passionate about this topic. I have a lot of um, gynecological friends and we talk about it a lot and, um women who have uh, conditions which in their, like we've got to look after our public floor, basically is what I'm trying to say, because if we don't and we become incontinent in the future, we're more likely to end up in a home. So if you're listening right now, ladies, that should be enough motivation. Uh, you know, you don't want your kids going, I just can't take care of her. She's 80 and she just wets herself all the time because she Correct. hasn't looked after her public floor. Um, but I guess your situation is 
you know, it is very common, uh, especially the older we get for this uh, pelvic floor prolapse to happen, uh, even if it's not the, the, what, as extreme as yours, prolapse mm. is still very common um, and incontinence as well. So yes, um, our vaginas do go through a lot. Um, as oh, Betty White, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Betty White has a saying, but I'm not going to say it because it used to make me laugh. I know um, the one. I know yeah. the one and I'm giggling because I love it too. Oh, I love She's it amazing. Too. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess, you know, you're talking about the prolapse side of things, but, you know, I was forceps and episiotomy and all those sorts of things. And it is quite traumatic for women um, to have this happen to a part that is, you know, as you said, you can't sit down for mm-hmm. at certain times and it's, it's actually very traumatic. So um, there's a lot of mental scarring. I think that women do go through, especially after their firstborn. Um, yeah. And yeah, so good on you for starting such a fabulous community for women and bringing more awareness to it and making it more, um, I guess people realize that it's actually really, really common. Yes. And I think that like, there's two elements to it, right? We have, so the, and this is only things I've discovered along my journey. So I don't, I didn't know any of this beforehand because had I, had I known, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you, but my pelvic floor probably had some level of dysfunction going into labor anyway, because being an athlete, uh, you know, if you're a professional dancer, if you are, you know, professional horse rider, your pelvic floor can have some dysfunction anyway. If you've had chronic constipation as a child, all of these risk factors can lead to pelvic organ prolapse or pelvic floor dysfunction so that when you then become pregnant and have a baby, it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So for me, yes, the muscles being torn off are very likely, I've been told, the thing that tore the, the muscle off the bone, but it could have already had some damage done to it already, which is why it's important for our listeners to know, especially those mums who are not yet pregnant, um, the mums, you know, the women who are not yet pregnant. Future is mums. It, yeah, you can have prolapse without even having a baby. You mm. can have prolapse even with a cesarean section birth. It, it, it actually doesn't discriminate. It, it's how we care for our pelvic floor probably from childhood and teenagehood, you know, when you get your period and the hormones changes all the way to motherhood and beyond. So I was like you, I thought, oh, prolapse is something, I didn't even know what the word was, but it felt like I knew a little bit and it's something that yeah. older women get. Old ladies get it, yeah. Old ladies and they wet their pants and there's tenor lady pads and all of that stuff. I, I knew it was in existence, but didn't know enough. When you find out that it's like really more common for women who are 35 onwards, like, oh, hang on a minute, no one talks about this. And then the second element to that, breeze, because we are shushed, we are told not to say anything to women who haven't had babies because we're told not to scare them. And part of my logic brain says, okay, sure, I don't want to scare a pregnant woman. I wouldn't want to have felt scared when I'm vulnerable and pregnant either. But the life I live now is pretty scary. The unknown, feeling like everything, you're, like, it's not just your pelvic floor. It's like the core of who I am, literally. <laughs> it's my physical being. It's my whole self. It affects every part of my body, not just my vagina and my pelvis. Like when you live like this, you you clench your neck, your jaw, just trying to hold everything in every day. So I think I would much rather feel a little bit scared 
before I was pregnant. So we're talking to women before they're pregnant because when you're scared, right, you take action. Anyone listening right now has feels fearful of COVID has taken action to protect themselves. We didn't just say, oh, well, let it happen in the beginning. And I think if women were a little bit scared before they got pregnant, like, actually, I'm probably going to have to look into this. I'm probably going to have to know the difference between my own anatomy because we're not taught that, granted. I'm going to have to find out how I can do the best I can to try and protect it and then how I can make informed decisions during my birth that will hopefully prevent forceps ripping the muscle off the bone. So work through the fear. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Absolutely. (laughs) And knowledge is power. So, and like you said, it's, you know, you don't know when you're little, the pan's hot unless someone tells you. So, um, (laughs) and hopefully they never touch it. So, you know, I think, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes we do need to know these things so that we take considered action to avoid everything at at all costs that we want to not have in our life. So, yeah, no, I agree. As much as we can, I mean, being blindsided by this stuff is there's an extra element of shame because I was an educated woman. I worked with children my entire career. I worked with mums my entire career. And I was like, how did I not even know that word? Yep. You feel silly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the biggest piece of advice to women listening right now that you've got, um, that you, you know, to, to educate them on what you wish you had have known? Yeah, I think that's really important. I felt like I did, I was an advocate for myself in terms of I went to private birthing classes, I paid extra, I went to the hospital birthing classes at the time. And when we're talking six years ago, and a lot has changed even in that short period of time, I read every birthing book you could find on the bookshelf, along with the baby name books. I just wanted to be I think it's important to know it took five years for me to fall pregnant with Elsie. So I was thinking about this motherhood journey from the time I was 26 years old. I wanted six kids. (laughs) So I felt like I was knowledgeable. I felt like I did do the research and the homework. What I now know, Brie, is that everything I read was only half the story. The other half was hidden from me. And by that, I mean we have a birthing system in Australia that's very political. You have natural birth advocacy and midwifery-led care, which is the way I went, the way I wanted to go. Because to me, when someone says natural, I'll have a natural childbirth. I put my hand up for that. Of course, it sounded lovely. It sounded organic. It sounded romantic. It sounded like full of love. And I don't know who would not want that. But the part of the story and the education that was missing was what can happen in an obstetric birth, in a cesarean birth. So I was curious about it. I asked about it and I was always dismissed. You won't need to worry about that because you're going to breathe your baby down. If you've got the right playlist, the right candles, if you've got your Gatorade and your husband and your midwife, these are the exact words. Are you ready? Your vagina will open like a lotus flower and your baby will be breathed down. 
I absolutely loved the idea of that. And I did all the meditations and I thought, yeah, I can do that. I can, I've gotten through cancer. I can, I can do anything now. And when that didn't work, there was no, okay, what's next? It was panic stations and all the, all the meditations and all the candles went out, out the window. It was useless. And for those women that that does work, I can see why you would want to do that. I don't, I'm not dismissing that method of birthing at all, but it was just a whole lot of information. It just wasn't there. I know it now because I had to go and search it while I was researching my book, not as a pregnant mom. So I think there's, there's a lot of talk, right, about saying, let women make informed decisions, but how can they when they've only got half the information? So true. You make it like you make a decision based on one very swayed way. <laughs> and and I, it is hard to know all the information, absolutely. And I think, you know, because uh, I got induced and like, you know, there's certain things that you go, gosh, I wish I had known the consequences of certain things. But obviously, yes. you know, the medical practitioners, their number one aim is to always have a healthy baby and a healthy mum. But the damage that can be done during both of those things um, happens, you know. Yeah, uh, I, is, I think the focus is on the baby. Rightly so. And I would have done anything to save my baby. I think a lot of mums would probably say very something similar. The way I see it kind of playing out is that I wish that they, the mum was the focus too, because without a healthy mum, taking a healthy baby home is really complicated. Yeah, you've got a broken mum and a healthy baby or, or both or whatever. It doesn't set up for an easy transition to motherhood. No. Or even yeah. a, even one you can cope with. I mean, no transition to motherhood's easy. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I think that trauma from that experience too can, you know, yeah, it's it's not uh, not nice. It's it's tough, I think, for many women to get past uh, a traumatic labour. Yes, absolutely, I do too. And potentially, I mean, I think there's ways around it. I do. I, I don't know if you want me to go into it now, but I think that we can be doing better for sure. I'd love you to go into it. How do you think that we can do better? Okay. I, my gut feeling, and I'm here as a mum. I'm not here as someone in that political arena between midwifery led care or obstetric care. I had a second birth after the traumatic one in obstetric care, purely for the reason that I was too frightened to go back to where the trauma happened. I couldn't. I couldn't just, I couldn't face it. So I ran in the opposite direction. And I think women who have had traumatic obstetric births quite often run into midwifery leg care. They just, they just need to change it up to be able to, to cope with it. But for me personally, I see when someone is first pregnant, a one or two hour antenatal class in a hospital is never going to be enough. Because those experts, those amazing midwives and those obstetricians have trained and studied and practiced this for years. So to think we can teach women how to labor a baby vaginally or even prepare for a cesarean in a two-hour class and reading a few books is ridiculous. Education probably needs to start from the very beginning. When you, when you, when you pee on the stick and it says positive, 
that's when the care should start, as in talking to a midwife about a vaginal birth or even talking about miscarriage before 12 weeks, right? Because they've got that 12-week no announcement thing. I think that could change too. But then as you go along in your pregnancy, meeting a midwife and finding out about vaginal birth, they call it natural birth, that's fine. I call it vaginal birth, about no medication, no intervention, that type of thing. But then also having an appointment with an obstetrician to find out what it actually, what is a cesarean? Because I didn't know. I was like, oh, when I found out, I was like, it actually doesn't sound as easy as what they make out on TV or what they portray in social media as it's the easy way out. It didn't sound easy to me. I also think it's important to then talk about the use of forceps, the vacuum, episiotomies in depth because they are happening a lot, induction, like you just said, you, you wish you knew more. But then I think women, especially first-time mums, there's a whole lot of fear that they're not allowed to talk about because they just have to keep a positive mindset, keep your positive mindset. But on the inside, they they are thinking, what? This is baffling because I don't know what I'm in for. So talking to a counsellor, a professional psychologist to unpack your fear while you are pregnant, I think he's a massive leap ahead. Then you need to have an appointment with a women's health physio for your pelvic floor while you're pregnant so that they can talk to you about your anatomy. And I've seen, I've learned more on Instagram (laughs) about how to birth a baby vaginally. And then seeing these images of how, if your legs are a certain way, then how your pelvis bones open. I'm like, well, that makes sense. Why didn't they go through any of that? If I'm, if I'm on all falls and I've got your legs um, pointing a certain way, you can see how your pelvis actually expands. It would make sense to birth a baby that way rather than on your back when your legs in stirrups. So all of this information needs to be like holding space for women for nine months would be really good. Once a month, meeting with an expert professional, then. as we said, those mums who are carrying trauma into the transition of motherhood, let's make a place for them. So what I mean by that is when I took baby home and it was all amazing, you know, oh my God, she's finally here. But then when shit hit the fan and I was not well and I was not okay and I wasn't coping, there was no space for me to go. So In New South Wales, they're called Tresillian and Karatani. They're mums and bubs units where you can go and get midwife support for three nights, I think. I'm not sure what they've got in Queensland. Um, But they were full. They were full for three to four months was the waiting list. And I thought, I'm not going to make it. I was that bad. So for me, I think if you identify, which I did, in my um, pre-pregnancy care that I was a highly anxious A-type personality who wanted everything in perfection, I probably needed a spot, a little reserve sign there because clearly transitioning to motherhood is different for everyone. But I think if they had a little vacancy there for those mums who needed it, they can go from hospital into the care of more support because there's, let's face it, breather village is gone, Right. And then if they don't need it, then it goes to the next mum. Great. Do you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. I think it's yeah. a beautiful idea. I love I love all of that because 
I think many of us, uh, I was actually talking to a public health specialist and when she was training, she had to invite all her girlfriends over. She's like, right, girls, if you come over, I'll do wine and nibbles and I need to test all of your pelvic floors. Love it. Love <laughs> so it. there's not, not many women that can say that they've uh, had that sort of close interaction with their best friends, but <laughs> she said it needs to be that normal, you know, where we are getting these things checked because if we know early enough, we can prevent those sorts of situations happening. A hundred percent. Because we're talking much now about, you know, this sort of condition happening through labour, but it can happen just through, you know, not doing the right exercises and as we age from having children 10, 20 years earlier, you know. So yes, it's uh, it can happen during labour, but ladies listening right now, this can happen to you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the track. And that's why I love Stephanie what you're talking about here and making people aware you know we're getting a little bit graphic here so I know some of us are probably squeezing and uh you know churning a little bit and likely uh doing our public floor uh exercises as we're talking doing the kegels yeah, yeah. like totally every time someone talks about it you kind of go Ooh. yeah um <laughs> so any parting words like that you'd like to share today anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to sort of say today Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to, and as you said, it can happen down the track. Some women right now listening, Brie, could have a stage one pelvic organ prolapse and not even know it, not even have an idea, not feel any different. And then progressively it can go to stage two and three and four. Not saying that everyone does, but it's really important to maybe even just get a preventative checkup. You know how you go and get a checkup and a clean for your teeth? twice a year do you know how you go and get a checkup for your blood pressure now and again let's all go and have everything yes let's all go and have a checkup a lot of women actually discover they've got prolapse whilst having a pap smear and then there's some women who have a stage one prolapse who are really symptomatic and find it hard to they struggle through the day and then there's women who have a stage four who wouldn't really they're not affected by their daily life. So it's important to know that just because you're diagnosed with a number or a type, it's how it affects your ability to, to be and function as a woman every single day. And that's important. So if you are not feeling okay in your skin, please go and see a women's pelvic floor specialist because there's lots of physiotherapists out there. You want to get someone who knows exactly what they're talking about. They're there. They're becoming more and more, you know, they're popping up here and everywhere. But do your research and just go and have a check. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for, you know, highlighting this really important topic with us today. Uh, Where can people go for more information and uh, to buy your book? I think everyone just come onto the website at bravemama.com. It's got the book. There's a podcast, there's a blog, there's all, all the goodies are in one nice little spot and you can link to the socials through there as well. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get you back on the show again another time to talk about this even like, further. I but, talk uh, too much. <laughs> oh, no, me too, me too. You know, who doesn't like talking about vaginas? Um, <laughs> so remember, any important links can be found in the show notes. But a big thank you for being on the show today. Uh, until next time, everyone, happy parenting. And don't forget to tell everyone you heard it on Pac-Man. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at pacmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.